Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome in to episode 61 of Kayfabe Council, the show where we review and critique news topics and segments in the world of professional wrestling. My name is Pretty Tony, and alongside me, as always, is the good brother TF Joker. Joker, what's the crack, man? What's going on, bud? Absolutely nothing, PT. Caught up on a lot of sleep last night. Caught up on a lot of sleep last night, and I feel very good for it. But I know I'm going to be punished for it by losing a lot of sleep somewhere else down the line. I'm going to have to start all over again. But until then, I'm feeling pretty good. What about yourself? Fair enough. Life giveth and life taketh away. I, on the other side of the coin, if you've got a lot of sleep, then I didn't. Because if you are a longtime listener slash watcher, you know there is a running gag where you and I are the same person. So we are almost the mirror images of one another. The other side of the coin, if you will. So, yeah, I'm having a bit of a rough one today. Uh, it's been a little bit of a rough going this past week. I know the weather may also be playing into it. Uh, we chatted earlier in the week, and hot diggity. It is over 110 Fahrenheit, well over 40 to 45 Celsius. It's, uh, it's hot, so that may be playing a factor into it. Might be draining my energy. That notwithstanding, lots of wrestling this week as well, uh, including the regular smorgasbord that we cover here, but then also because of the G1, so lots of extra wrestling. So that may also be a factor. Why I'm feeling a little tired this week. Oh, just watching too much wrestling. It's definitely not the fact that Arizona, for some reason, just has record temperatures of stupid triple digits of the Fahrenheit. Yeah, I'm going to bl- I'm going to blame the weather for this one for you PT because that over there, if I ever see something whiffed, you know, this direction of Arizona heat. No thank you. I'm not built for that. People people out there are built different. Although it is the summer here in the states as well as for the northern hemisphere traditional summer. Yeah, it's, it's actually, we're, we've been record high in terms of where I'm at in uh, the air, in Arizona as well. So a little bit hotter than usual. It'll be hot, but not maybe as hot as it's been and regularly, but it is what it is. Like we've been reminding folks as well, try to stay cool, stay hydrated, especially. Uh, lots of things kind of going on. Just Remember to take care of yourself, and that also means trying to get some rest as well. So Joker's been getting some this particular week. I may not be, but remember to pace yourselves. There's lots of wrestling to watch, lots of wrestling to keep track of. So just try to do yourself a favor and be well to yourself. All right, we'll kick into the show proper here. As a reminder, you can find us in video form at youtube.com slash kfabecouncil. And in audio form, wherever you get your podcast from. On this week's episode, we look at Rhea Ripley and WWE Women's Division getting time. Over on the AEW side, the Blackpool Combat Club Death Triangle Best Friends feud seems to be heating up. And we'll look at week two of the G1 Climax 33. So, coming up first. WWE Women's Division Getting Time So in previous episodes and for longtime listeners and watchers, we've spoken about wanting to get more opportunities, better opportunities for the men and for the women in all companies. 
while I was watching Raw this past week, and I subconsciously noticed uh, the women were actually on the show and featured in a lot of segments. I think it's only something that I noticed upon retrospect after I finished watching the episode. We've noticed multiple times in the past, we'll take Raw for example, it's a three hour show, there have been many times over the past 20 some odd years that women were only featured perhaps in a short three minute match out of the entire three hours of Raw, which has been criticized and observed by folks in the industry as well as fans uh, watching the show as well. So as a brief reminder, this past week's episode of Raw featured Rhea Ripley opening the show, helping to introduce Dominic and accept his challenge with Kevin Owens. Becky Lynch versus Zoe Stark match, also featuring Trish Stratus. The Dom and Sammy match where Rhea played a role in the story of the match. Rhea then in a backstage scaring away Akira Tozawa, uh, which also set up the Damian Priest Apollo Crews match, that backstage. We had Liv Morgan backstage interview featuring Chelsea Green, Sonya Deville, and Rhea. Beating the dead horse, Rhea taking out Liv's segment in the ring in front of the crowd. We had a backstage Maxine Dupree in the Alpha Academy segment. We had a Shayna Baszler interview. Then switching gears to a Becky Lynch interview backstage segment. Valhalla in with the Viking Raiders backstage segment responding to Maxine Dupree. We had a Ronda Rousey interview backstage segment. And then finally, Rhea helping beat down Seth Rollins to end Raw. So interesting to note, we had a lot of women uh, featured multiple times as well, which is something that doesn't happen often. So Joker, was this something that even crossed your mind watching the show, or did you just kind of go with the flow and perhaps observe it after the fact? I think after about the 30th time I saw Rhea Ripley on my screen, I kind of started to notice. Um, uh, joking aside, it was, it was about the time whenever um, Sonia and Chelsea were on the screen and they were talking uh, and they had their little their little uh, slide jab at Rhea Ripley that then turned into a passing compliment as Mommy uh, came into screen. Um, it was about then that I was like, this is actually, you know, there's been a lot of the domination in the, uh, in the backstage segments, uh, particularly because that's what, this, that's what this is about. This is in particular about the backstage segments there hasn't been on this. We're not trying to say there's a lot of wrestling on this show. I think it was a few weeks ago. There was even a breakdown of how little wrestling is on Raw and SmackDown for the sheer volume. So we're not going to defend that. We we would like more wrestling on those shows. But it is very, very good to see that during this three hours on the past Raw, that we did have quite a lot of uh, the female presence, um, you know, of. Uh, of which there really hasn't been that much in previous times. Um, and we, to put it kindly, we pushed some uh, storylines forward. And that is what these segments are meant to do in the absence of wrestling. So I was, I was happy. It was happy to, to see that this was a thing. Um, 
and it was definitely a good use of Rhea Ripley to even include some people who had no other uh, storylines, like Chelsea and Sonia, um, or you know just her randomly appearing, like with uh, like with Akira Tozawa, because we know that Akira Tozawa as well has had a run- few run-ins with Mami, and having him beside Cedric. Kind of not Cedric. Um, Apollo. Apollo. I just had for some reason I had Cedric on the on the brain, but it was Apollo. It kind of just lent credence to the fact that you know Mommy was being escorted by her entourage, um, and then somebody got to stand up for the fact that Akira was getting bullied. Um, so yeah, it's one of those things. I, I liked it. It was it was interesting, um, but it was uh, it was a welcome change as well. I would say it's a fair play. It was something that while watching, I was, you know, taking everything in, observing, you know, taking mental notes, things of such. Upon reflection, I'm like, oh, there was, yeah, there was quite a lot of women present and in, in backstage. We had some in-ring segments as well. Of course, we can go at length, which you mentioned it about whether or not we should have more in-ring wrestling on a wrestling show that's three hours, that notwithstanding can be a separate topic. But it makes me harken back to, oh, we think about 2014, 2015, that, had that trending hashtag, give divas a chance, when just the women, and that was a, a thing that I alluded to earlier, where maybe the women on a three-hour show only got three whole minutes, and you had the one women's segment on the show and like you know put your hands up dust them oh that's it we uh we filled our quota type of thing which is weird because that's maybe there's more women uh now as well on the roster of course but there might be more men employed but you think of that'd be half your roster there might be more men you know in terms of numbers but you think like half and half there'd be your your female superstars and your male superstars, but predominantly dominated by your your men, of course. But be that as it may, it was kind of good to see that the notion of we don't have to have one storyline for the, the entire women's roster. Like it's only one woman challenging the, the women's champion type of thing. Uh, it feels like it's gotten uh, a bit better with that as well. It makes me think of this past week's episode of Dynamite on AEW, right after the Britt Baker Taya Valkyrie, they panned to a sign in the crowd and book the women's division better. And that's just, we can have a crazy discussion about that, but I think it's one of those where folks just want to be engaged with stories that are compelling so they can get into it. They want to have characters that are compelling, that the stories are written well for them, and perhaps have engaging wrestling. So I think that's all the thing is considered altogether. So be that as it may, I thought it was a, it was a nice subtle idea to feature the women uh, quite a lot. And I didn't feel like it was kind of shoved down our throats. It was, you know, it was there and it wasn't like, you know, championing or kind of in your face. So real quick, Joker, for a question for you, do you feel like it was a conscious decision by WWE to feature the women heavily on Raw, or do you feel like it was maybe just happened in the whims of writing this week's show? 
Very interesting. Um, political answer uh, or or typical Joker answer. Typical Joker answer is I want to be cynical and say they lucked out uh, and they kind of just uh, you know last minute thought of this. But honestly, I don't know if that's true. Like if we're if we're gonna if we're gonna play cynic here for a second um the devil's advocate whatever you might want to call it wwe does not book their women's division well they put the they put everyone chasing after the one title uh they don't really allow people to develop characters unless you're that top uh one or two stars um and it, it just seems like everybody has to chase you know whoever it is that they deem at the top there's no interpersonal sort of differing hatreds or friendships between people if you're friends in the women's division you're automatically a tag team and you're stuck in the cursed division that seems to be the ongoing thing um so cynically i think they stumbled into this they had a lot of people um they had a lot of people that just kind of turned up and were like actually we haven't used this before actually we haven't actually done anything for the shana ronda match Actually, where's Becky Lynch? Hang on, we got to get her on screen. Um, so that's my cynical answer. Uh, my political answer is they did a really, really good job of picking up their talent and going, this is what we need to do to push the cursed division, the women's tag team division. I will hereby you know, refer to that division as the cursed division, because if you ever hold that title for longer than two weeks, you're either going to lose the belt or get injured. Sorry, Liv, it happens. And then you have to have everybody else chasing the title hold. But we have people who want to fight each other. We have uh, Valhalla, Sarah, okay, hello, um, taking on uh, Miss Shush herself. And that, that, that's something that's just kind of happened because of uh, a rivalry between the men. So that's kind of just been an addition. And it's been a welcome addition because there's no titles in the line. Um, there's no nothing. It's just kind of pride. It's sort of you know progress. It's it's nice. It's it's something different than what we see. And then we have the Sheena Ronda thing, which is you know booking their uh, you know booking the story for their match uh, as to what's going to happen at SummerSlam, which uh, is spoiler alert. I'm looking forward to. And then you have Becky Lynch just being Becky Lynch doing Becky Lynch things. And the same with um, the same with Rhea Ripley, like. Include her in as much stuff because she's the champion. That's typical double WWE things. So they did really, really good, uh, really, really well with how they did um, the booking of this. It was well thought out, and um, I think that a lot of people benefited from it. Um, so there's my political answer for you. I appreciate you even jokingly giving both sides of the coin there. It's it's hard to <laughs> navigate where if it was calculated or if it was just sort of circumstantial or accidental so a little column a little column b i want you to know though pt i'm firmly on the side of cynic and that is that is my actual answer i just know that there's people out there that will give that political answer but i want you all to know that is not what happened it's the cynical one is correct anything else is lies and that's a fair play. So there's going to be arguments or opinions on both sides of the coin uh, as well. 
Uh, but to, you alluded to it as well, of course, that as we've mentioned previously, WWE and to be fair, AEW have struggled to push or consistently push the women's division, something we've mentioned and a lot of folks who've observed who have watched both products. At the moment, there are multiple storylines going on for the women and something that I really don't recall ever being a thing before. So the, like we mentioned, they usually concentrate on the champion. So if you alluded to it and mentioned a little bit before, but I have it for context here. So right now we have the Shayna Ronda feud, the Becky Trish feud with Zoe Stark as an additional player, the Chelsea Green Sonya Deville with the women's tag team title arc, Rhea Ripley going back and forth between interacting with the women's division and just being the heater or the bodyguard for those unaware. For the Judgment Day. Over on the SmackDown side, Charlotte, Bianca, and Asuka going for the WWE Women's Championship, that scramble, and Io being weird with her relationship with Bailey, possibly teasing a face turn. So we have a lot of things kind of going on at the moment, which is great because there's subtle things going on. Uh, though it seems as though they're actually having women involved in storylines to varying degree of exposure with a lot of uh, folks, like you mentioned, with uh, Shayna Ronda, trying to have that be a little bit more of a prominent one, to even all the way to having a Maxine as well as a Valhalla deal. So it's you know we've got women having something to do on the show, which is which is great on quite a different levels. Even so much so to have NXT at the moment is actually doing a lot of things. I made note. Ava Rain with her feud with Ivy Nile, Blair Davenport fighting and feuding with Roxanne Perez, bonus points for the supermarket brawl, that was awesome to, uh, to watch, Core Jade having a program with Dana Brooke, the Gigi Dolan, JC Jane Forever Toxic Attraction feud, the Chikara Jackson Lash Legend teaming with Noam Dar and Aura Mensa, which that team has a mixed tag team match at the Great American Bash as well upcoming. Bea Hale and Tiffany Stratton over the NXT Women's Championship. So we have a lot of things going on, which for once is actually a positive. So we're giving an opportunity like we talked about earlier. However, my fear is the women will get the bad booking and the storylines just like the men do. So save for the bloodline moments when they have their positives outside of their lulls. So Joker, do you think we're stretching the writing team too thin, or do you think we can sustain good television no matter what gender is involved? Uh, we can sustain more than one storyline, regardless of gender, regardless of, of whatever's going on. Because these people are paid to write compelling storylines. You can take a storyline written for men and give it to the women. Because if it's compelling, it should be compelling regardless of the actors. And that's what these guys and girls are. They are athletes 100%, but they are actors. And I want to point this out, like if it hasn't been predominantly obvious, you know, for the, we're, we're on episode 61 here, we really like the storylines and that's what we like to discuss. We're not out here criticizing how to do a suplex how to do a package pile driver, the best tope of the week. That's not us. 
I love stories. It's the reason why I watch wrestling. It is fantastic to see. Um, I watch things with characters that I enjoy. So this is what people mean when they talk about book the women's division better. Because regardless of what you want to try and allude to, it's like, no, we have to have better wrestling. We have to have better. No, you have to have characters you believe in to want to watch their wrestling. And that is what we mean, regardless of WWE or AEW. I could go on a tangent forever about AEW's women's division, but I think we've already done that. and We might do it again down the line. So there you go. This week, AEW is not on my radar. It's WWE and their women's division, which we're starting to see some little bubbles of boiling goodness that we have finally gotten something. So I feel like we should be able to write for the men and the women for each division, and it shouldn't make a difference who they are. They should be compelling. How do we get there? We give people the chance to become characters. Becky Lynch is a character and really only got over because she was able to develop a character that she was able to resonate with. Because the Irish last kicker wasn't doing anything. It was big time. It was the man. These are characters. And admittedly, I'm not a fan of the man. I, I actually kind of prefer big time. But I'm not a fan of the man. But that's the character people resonate with. You know what I mean? But Becky didn't really change how she wrestled. It wasn't as if, you know, she changed her persona. She came down and in in an, uh, an absolute fucking savage outfit you know the leather jacket the t-shirt the man the swagger you know whatever and that's how people were compelled to look at her la knight does the exact same thing he comes down he has the swagger he gives the promo he does the thing he acts like the man two people are playing a similar character because they have swagger they have confidence they have belief and they're written well they're also performed well. That's the second side of the coin there. Do not give people things that they're incapable of acting out. Chelsea Green is an absolute role model for character development. She is a hot mess. And she has to play that Karen character because that is amazing for her. She's great at it. I feel like that's one of the problems we've had for Rondo. We're trying to find a Rhonda character. Ronda can't be a character. You need to make her Ronda Rousey. You know what I mean? So th that's been the major problem I feel for WWE has been her writing or inability to connect with the actor to give them the correct character. A lot of good points. One of your first ones there is I am in agreement. no matter the gender, we can figure out good writing and good stories for these people and and the other side of that coin you mentioned that if you have a good story if you had things written well then if you, giving to the right person for execution the good the actor the portrayer if they can execute well then you know we're gonna head and knock it out of the park how many times have we've seen both sides of the coin in a television show or a movie, for example, if something may not have been written well, but a an actor just whatever the mojo was going crazy that day, and they just took this 
really bad, probably just simplified thing, just knocked it out of the park. Or we've seen arguably good actors and actresses just not have something written well or the context or what have you, and you're just like, man, that seems really off for them. So I'm in agreement for sure that we do need both sides of the coin. A, a good story, a something written well, and then the execution on the actor or the wrestler's behalf is paramount to connecting. The notion that you brought up of a Becky and a L.A. Knight, I was reading something last night about Kazuchika Okada. So this is a little bit of a early bonus here for later on in the show, but essentially when Kazuchika Okada was on excursion from New Japan Pro Wrestling, he spent time in the States with Impact TNA and Essentially, he was kind of floundering for a bit. After about a year or so, he ended up getting this Green Hornet-type character, and they renamed him Okata with a T. And it was one of those things where he tried to make it work and all these things and such. But later on, after he returned to New Japan, he recalls saying that it's different in the different parts of the world like in japan it's all about wrestling 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 great performance but he learned and it was paramount for his learning process on excursion and being a performer that having a character is incredible and you need to have that which from his experience in america as well as in impact he was able to then formulate the rainmaker character so Taking nothing away from Okada himself, really just phenomenal athlete, executes well, but having that little extra piece of having that character and that element of the Rainmaker sets him apart from an entrance, from a swagger standpoint, much like you said, with a Becky and an LA Knight from their previous personas, they may not have changed greatly their wrestling acumen and their moveset, but their presentation, their style, what they give, the energy that they give and receive from the audience was night and day. So that made me that made me think of the Okada example as well. I mean, you're not wrong. Those those are things that um it, it just makes sense. If you're a company that is trying to make cinema is WWEAR um they're trying to you know they're they're trying to make movie magic baby they're they're just out there to give you cinematic experiences with their matches but i mean i don't care about iron man versus anybody else in the marvel universe um if iron man is a crap character i don't care about captain america against anyone else if captain america is a crap character and that's where the movies, um, you know, they they have to have these character arcs, these build-ups for people. So that's what they need to do. They need to build up the characters of the women's division and let them have free reign. And then just in the in the producing of the matches, like fine, but I need a reason to watch those matches. Just not just because, oh, they're pretty ladies and they, they can do flips and you know the, I watch Rhea Ripley matches because 
I want to see her do the Riptide on someone, and I want to see her win because she is a badass. I want to watch Asuka matches because I love Asuka's ring entrance and I love her psychology in the ring. And I love the fact that she is a psycho. I love it. I watch, I will watch EO Sky because of similar reasons and the fact that EO was just absolutely electric in the ring. But I personally don't care about Raquel Rodriguez. I don't care about Liv Morgan. I don't care about Shotzi. I don't care about these these people because their characters haven't connected with me, whether through the fact that I don't like the character enough or the character just hasn't been presented well enough. And then uh, I think that's more prevalent actually in Shotzi's in Shotzi's ballpark because she was just absolutely destroyed for the longest period of time and has now kind of fallen into a Bailey area, which might be fun for her once we get around to telling that story. Bailey's is fantastic, so I mean I, I can see that doing well. But yeah, we 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 need to focus on the female characters and the, the female storylines um uh more predominantly like we have done. Yeah, so I'm in agreement that it's something at the end of the day, if we can have just strong stories told from the writers and the creative team and executed well, regardless of gender, it's just going to be something that is able to bring folks back to a television show, to a movie, to a wrestling show, as the variety show that it is, and gets people engaged and want to see the show or want to see that type of media. So I'm definitely in agreement there. The last point we'll get in this section here is the notion of Rhea Ripley, and we've mentioned it here on the earlier portion that Rhea Ripley has been featured quite heavily. Uh, She's been on Raw, she's been on SmackDown, NXT, a lot specifically in the recent weeks. The perception of Rhea since her winning the title at WrestleMania has been that she spent significantly more time interacting with her Judgment Day stablemates and being in segments with them than she has done with the women's division. I think it's something that a lot of folks, especially just after her winning the title, is a lot of things that folks have noticed. There would go times, for example, weeks without Rhea even being near the women's division. And to be fair, Rhea has been very active on the house show circuit. However, on TV, she's had minimal matches. So I just did a quick run through here. So we have April 1st, she won the title from Charlotte. Then we go a month, May 1st on Raw. Judgment Day has a six-man tag against the LWO. Four days later, May 5th on SmackDown, she has a mixed tag with Dom against Ray Ray and Zelina. And then the next day at Backlash, she beats Zelina. So that had roughly five days build to a pay-per-view match. So that's quite interesting. A couple days later, May 8th, uh, Rhea squashes Dana Brooke in less than two minutes. Then we go about three or so weeks later, May 27, Night of Champions, she squashes Natalia. So that was absolutely no build to that match right there. Let's go ahead and skip June because we have July 3rd. We have a match with Natalia that actually goes more than five minutes. I think it was over 10. And then finally, let's go ahead and skip three weeks to July 25th on NXT with a match with Lyra Valkyrie. 
So it's quite interesting that she's on TV a lot, but there's been this kind of hit or miss or up and down booking in relation to the other women in the women's division. So at the time of recording, there is a strong possibility that Rhea is not going to have a match at SummerSlam unless on Raw, Raquel Rodriguez just randomly attacks or challenges her to make a match then, but that seems to be possibly the only outcome where Rhea might be featured on SmackDown. But Joker, I have kind of a two-part question for you. So Rhea's association with Judgment Day, do you feel like that's helping her or holding her back from, one, being a fighting champion, and two, growing into a bigger superstar? Okay, so it's a very good question in terms of how I want to really answer this because um, it is helping her become a bigger superstar. She is all across that brand, whereas if she was by herself, she wouldn't be. And I can guarantee you that she wouldn't be because she wouldn't be with other people who also need to have TV time. Damien Priest being Senor Money in the Bank. He needs to have TV time. So what do we do? We put the heater with him. We put the heater so that he can get a little bit of a little bit of a link in there with Apollo Cruz, Kiritazawa, and we'll scare Kiritazawa. And with Dom Dom. So Dom Dom can give some some smack as well. And then you have, oh, wait, Dom Dom needs to have uh, have his airtime because he's NXT North American champion. I'm gonna be hanging around with him when he gets his time. Plus, I'm in a group with Finn Balor. If Fun Balor goes somewhere and the, the rest of the group's there, then yeah, that, that, that means that um, Rhea Ripley is going to be on your screen. If Rhea Ripley was just by herself, we would see her for her segment, and that's it. The unfortunate side to this is that's not a lot of, an awful lot of matches. You mentioned the, the time frame from April 1st to now as to who she has had matches with, and that's Zelina Vega, Dana Brooke, and Natalia in terms of main roster um i'm not i don't mean to sound cruel but these are not big characters zelina vega is currently being underutilized in the role in lwo i love zelina i think she's a fantastic person and personality outside of the ring i really want to see her positioned well and uh, you know, have have the opportunities she needs because I know that she can be knocked out of the park, hundred percent. Natalia and Dana have unfortunately, I don't know, they've not clicked for me. Again, going back to the character thing, and then Lyra Valkyria, just uh, I don't watch NXT, so who's she? Um, like, well, why why are we giving her uh, any ring time with Mommy? You know the champion is 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 Lyra the women's champion in NXT? Then why are we giving her uh, even a sniff of this title? Like, what is what is the point? Like, in terms of a an elevating mommy standpoint, what is the point in that match other than to just have mommy on NXT to elevate NXT? Now, way back when we talked about Rhea's induction into the Judgment Day, and I said this could be great for her. Because this will make her a huge star. We need to put her, put the belt on her, strap the rocket, send her to the moon, beat all the big people. Doesn't have a match at SummerSlam. There's the chance that she won't have a match. I've 
seen tweets of rumors that she will have a match. But who's she going to fight? Raquel Rodriguez, like you mentioned, again, that's not a big character. She hasn't done anything great. Not, not because like she's not or doesn't have the capability, but she hasn't been written well. I call her Big Back Rodriguez because all she does is come out, do the lat spread, and then goes and gets beaten or has her teammate injured. That's it. It is not conducive to improving the status of the title for Rhea. Rhea as a celebrity is fantastic. You see her everywhere. Everyone loves her on Twitter. I refuse to call it its new name. Everyone loves it. On, uh, everyone loves uh, Rhea on Twitter. And you will see so many people just lauding her all over that. And, you know, I, I'm one of them. We, we, we actually got retweeted by Mommy herself not so long ago because PT's tweet. So, I mean, thank you very much, Rhea Ripley. We love you. Um, but she's not elevating that title. Um, and her opponents are not helping her elevate her stock as a champion. This run, if it were to end today, would go down as a field run, in my opinion because her championship opponents have been non-existent. I think you make valid points. I'm in agreement that it is a mixed bag. I think the notion of her being with the Judgment Day, because that's the sort of the precipice of this and the question as well, is definitely helpful because you're in association with now, Mr. Money in the Bank, Damien Priest, like you said, Dom has a bit of a storyline going on. Their storyline boyfriend-girlfriend. You have the Finn piece being in a main event match as well. So just being in the faction, it reminds me kind of of like NWO style where the guys, just the other folks in the faction, if Hogan was going to have a promo, he'd have like 20 guys deep and you'd just get some FaceTime. You'd get on TV with a segment. You can be in their corner, all these various things. So I think from a standpoint of getting TV time, having the visibility to become a larger-than-life character, and she's shown her willingness to, to be a heater on the outside, cheer, and kind of get some promo time. So I think from that aspect, it's definitely helping her feel like and become a bit of a bigger superstar. On the other side of the coin, there's this piece of she's also the women's world champion where, like I laid out, sans for house shows where she's very active, television presence in terms of the women's division has been hit or miss. Now, we can put that on what we talked about earlier, the stories and the creative where if they're not presenting things or putting her in situations to potentially succeed or shine that's not necessarily a strike on her because she's trying to do with what she's been given. The likes of a Zelina match with no build, basically five-day mini-feud, if that. The whole thing with uh, the squash match with Dana and Natalia came out to get upset over a beating post-match, and then we went three or so weeks to only have Natalia challenge her, what, like a couple days before and then the squash match there is, is a very, very interesting thing. She occasionally crosses paths with other folks, but that could also be a contingent of because we have other things going on for the women. The Trish and Becky thing, 
we're going to have them separate from the women's match. We're going to give them some time. You know, we wanted to have the ladies fight in the tag team division. So they're, we're trying to pull some ladies to either form a team for a short term or just have them for a match and may not necessarily over there. So it could be a instance of things going on sort of outside and may not line up properly. So I'm not saying it's one thing over another, much like yourself, but I think there's a lot of things to consider. And that one final point about the having her challenge or fight Lyra Valkyrie, it goes back to my notion of a champion when it comes to, and it just, this doesn't matter whether it's male or female, it's just be about being a champion. If you can, folks can resonate with you if they feel like you're a big deal, if your character comes off that way, if you have a decent move set where you can have an okay match, really being a world champion is you can help elevate talent. Like obviously you can have a, you can have a decent match, but if you can have a match with somebody and help them make them look good, and maybe even look good in defeat and said, all right, maybe this person was better for that because they had a match with the world champion. So I hopefully this could be a notion of that. But yeah, it's just her her opponents, to be fair, haven't been high profile. And it's maybe a notion because there's a lot of things going on, or maybe it's they're trying to have her be a more of a presence on the show regardless of her being a women's world champion or a female superstar, but it has been quite interesting. There's been some good and some bad in terms of her being associated with the Judgment Day, but perhaps more good. More good for her character, not for the championship. Um, And we've talked about championships being made by people or people making the championships uh, with regards to Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins has had a host of people who he has beaten for this uh, for this new heavyweight title, and some of them have been people you would expect to see in that title uh, picture. Some of them not so much. You know, some squash matches here and there. Fair enough. But whenever you are a champion, right, and you beat Charlotte Flair, who is a name that you want to beat, and she is the peak, the pinnacle of the last three and a half, four months for you, and you're beating people that haven't been on TV in months before their match or since, looking at you, Dana Brooke and Natalia, then what is the point in putting them in a title picture? Whenever you're fighting someone who is in your developmental division, sorry, Papa H, that's what it is, and isn't a champion of that division, then what's the point in having that match? It's not building up the title. I get that we're wanting to build up these other individuals, but for me, the title hasn't been built up since its resurrection, since its recreation, whatever you want to call it, the new style belt. It has been tarnished by the fact that, yes, Rhea is a super fun character, and everybody will probably sit there and say, oh, she's the best one. No, she is the best female character currently on Raw. That is what she is. She is holding a belt. That makes her a champion. She is by far the worst women's champion so far this year. And I'm including Asuka in that. And Asuka is marginally better. She hasn't had very many uh, matches comparatively either. And she just kind of floating around with EO Sky chomping at her heels. And Bailey. So the sooner we get that story done, the better. But we need Rhea to start 
building on this title. And we can use the fact that, you know, we have Sheena and Rhonda, you know, saying, oh, well, look at this here, blah, 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 blah. Um, if we had Rhonda going, I'm going to beat the tar out of Shayna, and, you know, outside, you know, a little outside of, of the fact that we know she's going to be leaving as soon as her contract's up, she could be saying, I'm going to teach Shayna a lesson, I'm going to beat her, and then I'm going to show mommy exactly who the baddest woman on the planet is. Leading Shayna to decimate Rhonda, beating the tar out of her, getting, the, getting on the radar of Rhea Ripley. Fantastic. Look at that little small tweak there, PT. A little small tweak means that we have a Shayna versus Rhea match down the line. Right? We can do this with anybody. We can just put these small tweaks in to just get mommy's attention because everybody wants mommy's attention. That's what we should be pushing towards. Making that championship better with championship stock, not with your fodder. Like, we don't look at the matches for Roman Reigns and go, oh, that match with Akira Tozawa, wow, buddy, that was a really, really good match. Oh, buddy, that match with Ricochet, 100%, that was a barn burner. It was definitely championship material. No, 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 we don't do that because we have about three or four different matches with Kevin Owens, and each of them is cheating. If we had something to build this championship up for Rhea, I would be happier. Her character, like we have been trying to say, you know, this entire time, is established. It is good. It is fantastic. Unfortunately for me, she is currently playing the heater for everybody else. And she is a champion. Champions should not be playing heaters for other people. That's just my take on it. I think even the Rhea fans who may be coming at us with pitchforks and torches would be fair to say that she just hasn't been given the opportunity to defend the championship on pay-per-view or television quite a lot. I think that's the fairest thing we can all say and agree with. And I'm going to have to lean towards your point about if we can put her in situations where she can have matches at pay-per-views and or matches on television against women who feel like they can pose a threat or give a decent match and just put on strong performances, then it's going to make the championship feel important, much like Seth is trying to do with the new iteration of the WWE World Heavyweight Championship, trying to establish that. And I think it's just an opportunity where... here. So we'll wind down this segment with the fact that more women are getting opportunities and having storylines and being put in positions to be successful, I think is, is fantastic. And that's what we've always wanted for the men and the women, of course. And to it's certainly better, significantly better than it was three to five to 10 to 20 years ago. So we're moving in the right directions. Do we still have opportunities with where we're at now? Of course. We can always improve, but I feel like we're hopefully trending in a good direction and we can help elevate the championship that Rhea has and make that feel more important because we already like we mentioned she's the character work is already on point her presence is strong so hopefully that can be something that we can also 
make strong as part of her package. So I'm in agreement. Can we do better? Yes. Are we getting better? We're trending there. So let's hopefully get the other side of the coin with Rhea uh, solid as well. All right. So that was our thoughts on the WWE women's division getting time. Lots of things going on, lots of opportunities. You'd love to see it. Let us know down in the comment section below on YouTube or hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, and let us know your thoughts on the women's division getting stories, Rhea Ripley being quite the presence. Do you feel like Rhea should defend more? Who would you like to see Rhea face? Let us know down in the comments below. All right, the next topic we are going to cover here. Switching gears over to AEW, the Blackpool Combat Club, Death Triangle, and Best Friends are looking to start a feud. So for context, let's catch you up. We have a new feud for the BCC has seemingly transferred over to the Best Friends and Death Triangle. How did we get here? Off the heels of Blood and Guts, where we saw hired guns Pac and Kanosuke Takeshita team with and eventually abandon the BCC against the Golden Elite. Within the match itself, there was some friendly fire between Claudio Castagnoli and Pac, which in part led to Pac walking out in that match. This caused Claudio to challenge Pac and then subsequently face him at Ring of Honor's Death Before Dishonor two days later, which saw Claudio retain the World Heavyweight Championship. During the ending of said match, Wheeler Yuta caused a distraction on Pac, leading to Claudio retaining, like we mentioned. Pac is then backed up by the Lucha Bros, Ray Phoenix and Penta El Cerro Miedo, which then beat down Claudio and Wheeler. To further complicate things, longtime rivals of the Lucha Bros, the best friends come down to attack the Lucha Brothers. Orange Cassidy tries to back up his stablemates, and it comes out and Orange punches his longtime rival Pac. Orange wanting to nail Yuta, a former associate of the best friends, but accidentally hits Claudio when Wheeler ducks out of the way. So we fast forward to this past week's episode of AW Dynamite after Orange Cassidy retains his AW International Championship against AR Fox. John Moxley attacks Cassidy from behind, explaining that that's what you get for trying to flex on his friends when he's not in the building, telling both teams to stay in their lane. So while the at the end of the show, while the three-team match between the BCC, Best Friends, and the Lucha Bros end with the Lucha Bros winning, essentially, Dynamite then ends with a huge brawl between all three teams. So Joker, it appears that the feud is now over between the Blackpool Combat Club and the Elite. Yes, finally. But there is now a seemingly three-way feud between the BCC, Death Triangle, and the Best Friends. You mentioned before that the Blackpool Combat Club being unhinged and unpredictable. But with the most recent events, uh, it seems like we're looking for a fight on two fronts now for the BCC. I feel like that's probably a good thing for BCC who love to fight. Their character angle of loving to fight, uh, death jutsu and stuff like this here. Um, 
it, it it's interesting to me that um we have moxley doing a vendetta piece against a champion like orange cassidy someone who you don't initially consider uh to be in the competitive wheelhouse you know just just to put it in the terms that that maybe AEW fans uh, kind of would understand. It's like people just don't think that he's on the level of, of a John Moxley, the Orange Cassidy this would be. Um, but I mean, Orange Cassidy has been the most successful champion that we've had in AEW for a long period of time. And the long-term storytelling for him, particularly as a character and as a champion, has been the fact that he has been fighting practically week in, week out, doing pay-per-views, doing multi-man matches, and he has been winning. Now, he has taken a lot of damage. You see a lot of kinesio tape on him. His orange punch isn't, effect- isn't as, as effective anymore. Um, so, I mean, there's been a lot of sort of running down of Orange Cassidy to the point that we are now, even as the champion, making him look like a bit of an underdog against bigger opponents. Now, AR Fox, his storyline is a little bit different. Um, his storyline was he got uh, he got you know the, the chance because of Darby Allen. So I wouldn't have particularly said that AR Fox was a huge contender for this in the terms of AEW. Yes, we all know about AR Fox's history. Um, but it's a case of in previous uh, outings, we have seen Orange take on capable mid-card champion-worthy talent. But then we have John Moxley come in and seemingly protecting his friends has entered himself into the world of the international champion. Um, And yeah, that's the part of this that I like because the BCC the best friends and the lucha bros all have this interesting dynamic they have a single star don moxley pack orange cassidy and tag teams they have competitive tag teams in all of them and yes bcc uh is in the advantageous position of technically they have three single stars but then again you can kind of say that about all three teams i'm just generalizing here i like the fact that we could possibly see a three-way for the international title between Pac, who held it before it was the international title, actually brought that title to prominence as the Irish Sea um, English Channel uh, Black Sea Championship, whatever it was called. Uh, And we have John Moxley and we have uh, Orange Cassidy, the new champion. Like, I would love to see a triple threat match between that, between them. But then we'd also have the fact that the best friends could get their hands on Wheeler Yuta. But then we also see the fact that the best friends could get their hands on the Lucha Bros. But then also see that the BCC could get their hands on the Lucha Bros. This is really fun dynamics, and a lot of matches and potential matches are being created here. And this is based off of previous storytelling. So while this might be a sort of uh, a jerk in a different direction, for all three of these teams, they have history together. And that's what they're building this off. And I like the fact that we're doing this. And it's something new for all of them. 
Quite certainly is an interesting combination for these groups. You touched on it as well. We've seen iterations of Death Triangle and the Best Friends fight before. We've seen the BCC involved with it. It gives it something of a different faction and a different look in terms of the combination. So it's something different, but it's also something new. There's some history you've mentioned before with the Best Friends and the Lucha Bros, Orange Cassidy with Pac, Pac now having some bit of heat ski from the Blood and Guts, but then also from previously, if I'm not mistaken, it's the first ever Dynamite episode, Pac and John Moxley teamed and Pac walked out. So there's definitely history amongst all three of these teams as well. The illusion of Wheeler Yuta being the pseudo young boy with the best friends and then being taken in by Brian Danielson and John Moxley into the death jitsu style of the BCC. So there's a lot of things going on here. So there's history, but like you mentioned, there's also some fresh matchups to compound the fact. So some of the best friends or the Lucha Bros working with a Claudio, possibly over the Ring of Honor World Championship, could be fantastic. Reminding folks that uh, Ray Phoenix as well as Penta have been world champions in the past, so that seems like fun go-rounds. Likewise, working against the likes of a Moxley, give some of these guys a bit of a rubski, perhaps like even the likes of a Trent Beretta or a... Uh, Kentucky a gentleman there as well, his tag team partner. So, I mean, all these things, you can have a lot of different combinations. So, But to compound the fact, like you had stated before with John attacking Orange Cassidy on Dynamite, could we see a possible challenge for even just a straight-up one-on-one where the international title is on the line for John and uh, Orange Cassidy down the line somewhere? I would like to see it, and I would like to see John lose. Um, because that would then lead to a possible pack taking on, you know, uh, Orange Cassidy and losing as well, only for them to end up in a triple threat match. Like I said, this this can breed a lot of matches with which we can build, like everybody be so mad that Orange Cassidy beat beat John Moxley. That's the former three time AEW World Champion losing to the longest reigning champ champion. Like, I feel like that that would be a, a big boon to that international title should we see Orange Cassidy beat John Moxley. And I feel like, you know, that would be a good match. But it wouldn't come without its costs. And then eventually Orange could lose to John Moxley, who could then have that sort of reign with the international title. And it would give Orange Cassidy a well-earned break. Like, he... Pac elevated that title by taking uh, it around the world, like around Europe mostly, um, and then coming back to America, losing it to uh, losing it to Orange. But Orange has done so well of elevating this on AEW TV. Give him this match with John. Give him the the win over John. Give him another match against Pac, and you know, give give them the triple threat. I. I I feel like that's the one match that I'm kind of stuck on now because it just interests me so much uh, to see the former champ beat the current champ beat the former um, AEW world champion. It's just so nuts to me. It would be fun to see. Uh, and then, yeah, like uh, the, um, the, the tag teams, like we could, we could see any amount of 
different combinations of the tag teams doing in singles matches as well. Uh, I would love to see a Trent versus Phoenix versus um, which one? Let's let's go with Claudio for crying out loud. You know, I would love to see that match. Um, so there's there's plenty of matches here, and I feel like this is something that's going to go on until we get Brian Danielson back from his arm surgery. Uh, obviously, having plates and stuff put in his arm to facilitate the healing of that broken arm um that he suffered at the hands of none other than Okada. Um it would be it would be interesting to see them have this sort of triple threat uh storyline um between three teams. Absolutely. Quite the intriguing matchups between all of the folks involved between singles matches to triple threats to four ways to tag teams to trios like there's a lot of combinations and iterations that we can have obviously we've seen with this past week's episode of dynamite with there being three tag teams in an element there's also a a triple threat scheduled for the next dynamite upcoming it's one-on-one-on-one so there's already starting to get the gears going on that as well and you also note, mentioned as well that they traditionally we've seen sort of one-on-one in terms of a factions, right? There's usually one faction facing another faction, but with the added wrinkle of now there's sort of three factions kind of going at it, which is very unusual. We haven't traditionally seen that for the most part in a AW setting makes me think of the likes of your more traditional like your inner circle versus the pinnacle your jericho appreciation society versus the blackpool combat club right sort of focusing on one another the elite versus the death triangle we had that series of matches for a couple months more recently the elite versus the bcc so it's traditionally been one faction versus another so the the mixing of three has been quite intriguing, and it, like we've talked about, leads to possible intrigue. It's something different. It changes the formula. However, could this be good for a short-term feud? But I don't know if it's going to last a long time, perhaps a couple months. What, do you, what are your thoughts? What do you think? Two months tops. I don't think this is something that we need for a long-term. Um depending on the the sort of uh recovery time for uh for danielson i'd say two three months uh would be your amount of time that you would uh further amount of time that we would need for his recovery um it being a broken arm um not a doctor so don't quote me on that that's not me facilitating his return uh but i'd say about two three months is about all you would need for for these um rivalries to sort of play out we also have all in and all out over the next two three months so we have the opportunity to have the international title defended at all in in a triple threat between just going to harp on about this triple threat match pt i want to see it and for the title for against park and against Marx and against uh and again uh, and for for orange cassidy orange cassidy could win that match right Orange Cassidy could could win that match and retain. And then we go to all out and he loses in a second triple threat. And I would be happy with that. Or in a one-on-one with Mox. I would be happy with that. Um, but equally, we could see something of the likes of a tornado tag. We could see uh different different tag variations. 
um in all in and all out including you know the 2v2v2 or the 3v3v3 it's all very interesting but it's very energetic hectic and not conducive to super long-term storytelling because it's explosive i think personally it needs to be a short-term deal all out really has to be sort of the the finishing ish line i think uh but maybe the dynamite or so after that you know a couple of weeks after that but that that's that's sort of my my time estimate for how long this should go on yeah right now we're sitting at the end of july so i feel like the guts of august and september kind of yeah i'm thinking maybe give it two or three weeks after all out and that puts us towards the end of September. And if it feels like that's kind of a good ending point for that, because mm. you can have the matches potentially at a pay-per-view and then fizzle over and kind of wind down. That sort of sets the stage for October being the preparation for then the subsequent, because we have what a full gear, if I'm not mistaken, usually happens around November-ish time. So we can possibly lead towards that. So that feels like a comfortable place to kind of transition or switch gears to potentially something else. But yeah, I don't know if this goes long. You and I both agree this could go sort of uh, the guts of about two, maybe two and change months. And then we switch gears to something else. But that remains to be seen. But you and I are liking that we're having a new wrinkle. Three teams kind of going at it. Three factions and the elements and... And played offers us some history, but then it offers us something different. So I'm kind of jonesed for kind of where we go. Always, of course, we're mentioning that let's leave them wanting more as opposed to dragging things on so we don't get tired of, well, we had this uh, match a month ago and kind of we already saw the results. So what's the importance? So hopefully we can still be engaged, much like we talked in our first topic about storylines being engaging and the wrestlers being able to execute them well. And give me that triple threat match. There you go. So those were our thoughts on the BCC, the Death Triangle, and the Best Friends feuding. Let us know down in the comment section below on YouTube or hit us up on Twitter, Instagram. Let us know what your thoughts are on the now three-way feud. What matches you'd like to see if there's something you'd like to potentially get an iteration of and maybe how long you see this going let us know down in the comments below all right and the last thing we're going to cover here much like we did on last week's episode we're going to look now at week two of the g1 climax 33 so in Last week's episode, we covered week one, which covered roughly night one through four. We're going to look at the guts of the second week. So we're going to look at nights five through nine. So real quick for the first night, night five, I made note of Ren Narita and Gabe Kidd. Kidd had been attacking his opponents from behind during the entrances for every match that he had during the G1, but Narita was smart to that noise. Kid tried to come in with a chair attack, but Ren Narita laid Gabe Kid out on a ramp. So it was nice to see that he was smartened up, even though he's uh, post young boy training. But once the match got going, these two men just were beating 
the ever-loving crap out of one another. Kid grabbing the referee, the referee, excuse me, was able to get the low blow on Ren Narita and hit the package gotch style power driver for the win. Gabe Kid is just a maniac, is intense, brings in a different element for the War Dogs faction of Bullet Club. So that was definitely a highlight from Night 5. Another one from Night 5, the Great Ocon and El Fantasmo. Fantasmo uh, goes for the purple nurple spot. But Great Ocon was really into it, even licking his lips and kind of shrugging his eyes. It was crazy. Uh, but to counter that purple nurple, Ocon bites Fantasmo's nipples to get him back into one of the corners. So a bit of uh, Ska from the and gaga from two guys you don't necessarily think you're gonna have comedy spots from but later with the great okan on the outside past the barricade at ringside phantasmo just hits a cross body past the barricade onto okan so that was kind of a cool spot in that so just to make note and then real quick the kenta and will osprey match from night five was solid hard-hitting match all around and the kaito kayomiya excuse me Kaito Kaimiya Shota Umino went to a time limit draw was just nail biting. So crazy to to think that we also had a Kazuchika Okada and Tai Chi match, uh, which Tai Chi came to winning almost uh multiple times on multiple occasions. So it was a great back and forth. So Night Five had a lot of things going on. Definitely was into it for sure. Some of the highlights there. Night six, just a couple of things here. The Tetsuya Naito Toriano. Of course, when we mentioned Toriano, for those folks that aren't aware, you're going to have a bit of fun and engaging elements in there. This is specifically around the entrance. Toriano gets in the, the ring first and does his whole entrance and everything, so he's waiting for Naito to enter. Yano is so impatient during Naito's entrance. Yano tries to expedite Naito to getting in the ring, trying to get at the ropes and the referee's having to hold him back, but Naito is not having anything of it. Naito's actual entrance song plays completely through and ends. And then it begins again, so Naito, who's pretty much three quarters down the ramp, goes all the way back through the curtain and starts his entire entrance all over again, and Toriano's just super upset and going crazy, so... I know a lot of times when you think of New Japan, you think of very serious, hard-hitting you know, strong style matches, but there's also, we talked about before, pro wrestling is a lot of things, and you can have these elements here, so a bit of fun in that match as well. And then also from night six, David Finley versus Evil was just so ridiculous and chaotic to watch, so much interference. You had four referees taken out as the leaders of the Bullet Club War Dogs and Finley and the House of Torture Evil we're battling it out. So just even within the faction itself, there was super amount of chaos. On to night seven, just a couple things here. Will Ospreay versus Great Ocon. It's a battle of the United Empire. Even though they're teammates, it was a hard-hitting, intense match with each man holding nothing back on their stable mate. So that was a, a fun one to check out as well. Show to Umino and Gabe Kid. Once again, another hard-fought match, leaving nothing in the uh, the outside, leaving it all in the ring, so definitely look forward to that. And finally, from Night 7, Sonata and Kayu Kiyomiya, just great showing from both men. Sonata pulled it out literally with two seconds left, 
of the time limit. So that would one went down to the wire, and it's definitely a highlight from night seven. On to night eight, uh, Tomohiro Ishii and Eddie Kingston just beating each other up, forearm shivers, just taking hard shots, just chops, just minutes of them chopping each other down. They're not backing down. I could have watched 10 more minutes of them just going at it, but definitely a uh, fun and intriguing match to check out. Uh, Shane Haste getting a big win over Tetsuya Naito on night eight, so gotta love the old uh, TMDK veteran there. And finally from night eight, Jeff Cobb and Zack Sabre Jr. in the main event. Just great mix of technical and power-based offense and just all-around solid performance from both men there. Uh, on to night uh, number nine. Took place on July 27th. Joker, you mentioned you have some notes from night nine. I really have my, uh, notes from one match on night nine, uh, and it's ELP El Fantasmo, who I absolutely adore, uh, versus Kanta. In one of the quickest but longest matches that you ever might see on New Japan Pro Wrestling, because Kanta refused to get into the ring. Didn't want anything to do with his former stablemate of the Bullet Club because ELP is by himself now after being kicked out by David Finlay. It's one of those things that you look at it and you go, it's like he's one of the few people who is stableless. Everybody in NJPW has a stable. And by the time, you know, that ELP kind of did get himself into grips with Kenta, it was no holds barred. It was a. I don't know, 10 minute, 15 minute scrap on the outside that ended with a DDT splitting open ELP and then them rolling in the ring only for cancer to uh, <clears throat> get rolled up and lose. It was fantastic and it is, is one of the funniest things you ever did see because it's typical ELP, it's typical cancer. And it was just, uh, it was it was a bit of a barn burner. Plus, I love seeing Kenta just tricking the young boys and going, no, 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 okay, I'm done, I'm done. The young boys get out of the ring. And then he goes right back to beating the down on ELP. It's fantastic. I, I, I love to see, I love to see these two guys in the ring going at it. And um, that for me, regardless of the main, the main event being super good between Osprey and uh, Kazuchika Okada, uh, this was, this is my favorite match. Yeah, certainly if you look at the results from night nine, like Joker had mentioned, that the ELP and Kenta match maybe went just a hair over two minutes, if that. Yeah, don't let it be said that they did indeed brawl outside and in the crowd for probably more than 10 minutes. So we had a quite a strong segment there. The match only began sort of proper after everything like that. The DDT on the wooden benches in the crowd, in the grandstands, it was ridiculous. And yeah, just that's definitely a quite interesting and hard-fought matchup that Maybe on paper only went a couple minutes, but a lot of things to see there. I don't even think it went a minute, man. I think they got into the ring, kind of went for that GTS, then it got reversed, then it got rolled up, then it got switched around, then it won. It was like, I honestly think it went 60 seconds, if that, just because of the go for the ring. And I heard Kevin Kelly going, this is a stupid decision by the ref. Worst decision ever. And then ELP wins, and he goes, that was the best decision ever. The best refereeing decision ever. Like, Kevin Kelly is impartial, ladies and gentlemen, 100%. You gotta love it. Just him going for broke. So, yeah, this has been one of the nights, uh, set night 7, 8, and 9, that we're speaking to about 9 right now. When they're in the area of Tokyo, 
we can have uh, Chris Charlson on the color commentary alongside Kevin Kelly. Uh, there have been a couple nights earlier in the week where, because they're traveling around Japan, that uh, Chris is unavailable, so that Kevin's been doing the commentary solo, a little bit like the Joey Styles ECW style, but it's one of those that even watching the show and listening to the commentary on the English portion of New Japan World is still engaging. Kevin's been able to do this for quite a long time, so even doing it solo, he's doing some play-by-play, he's doing a bit of color, he's asking questions, he's posing things, so he's still keeping you engaged, even though he doesn't necessarily have a person to bounce off of, so may not be everybody's favorite commentator, but he's doing a quite serviceable job, even when the nights that he's doing the commentary solo. Sometimes he does manage to get in ELP, which is another reason why I like him, because he does get in some, I think last year he got in people like G.S. Owens, ELP, he got uh, somebody in from, uh, somebody in from uh, the United uh, Empire, I believe as well. Like it, it was just, you know, he gets a couple of the English speaking talent to come in and sort of pseudo do an interview with him while they're doing a match and them jawjacking with each other is fantastic. This new format of 20 minute time limits might not lend to that uh, as well uh, because the matches, you know, they are pretty short, pretty quick. Uh, and it, it has led to the 20 minute draws, um, the time limit, uh, people trying to beat the time limit and stuff. And uh, it was the reason for the surprising end to the, the Osprey Okada match as well, because those boys haven't had a match under 20 minutes ever in their life, uh, except this one. So um, you knew that was either going to go to a draw or one of them was bound to lose in rapid succession. Absolutely. And to that point, this year, like I mentioned, when they're in the the Tokyo area will have uh, Chris Charlton on the color commentary alongside Kevin Kelly. We had one of the nights early on, we had Chase Owens join Kevin Kelly on there, but subsequently Kevin has stated early on when they're traveling around Tokyo because of the new format with the 20 minute time limits and a lot of guys are putting in crazy effort and the G1 is a grueling tournament where a lot of guys are potentially banged up, and we're seeing that with the likes of Hinare. We've seen Kenta being covered in Kinesio tape, a lot of guys being with the bandages and things of such. A lot of guys are banged up. Kevin has stated that he doesn't want to necessarily pull them away from being able to have access to the trainer and to have time to recover and things, so he stated there's going to be days when we're away from Tokyo that he's going to fly solo, and I think that's fine. Like I mentioned, he's been doing a very serviceable job, so... I appreciate Kevin acknowledging that, but then also, you know, playing up the uh, the grueling nature of what the G1 is. He did state that in August, I forget which exact date, that Eddie Kingston is going to join him on color commentary. So that's going to be awesome. Kind of looking forward to that night, but we'll see how yeah, that Don't miss out. that day. Don't miss that day at all. I want to watch that. And then, of course, Joker alluded to it, the, the main event of Night 9, Will Ospreay and Kazuchika Okada was just a really strong match. Like you said, with the 20-minute time limits, Will Ospreay was able to pull out the win against Okada. For folks that are interested in watching a uh, an Okada match, they uh, traditionally go quite the guts of 30, 40, 50 minutes. But if you want a little bit more of a condensed, uh, sort of fast pace 
back and forth in terms of an Okada match. This is a really good one to kind of see. It's it's sort of truncated. You get the sort of offense that would happen sort of at the 30, 35 minute mark. And you're like, okay, cool. At the nine to 10 minute mark, we're starting to get that stuff in. So it's it's a little bit of the uh, the storytelling kind of within that element. So definitely the Kenta El Fantasmo and of course the Will Ospreay Kazuchika Okada match from Night 9 are highlights for sure. All right, so like we said, definitely check out if you have the availability. Those are some of the things that we highlighted from week two of the G1 Climax. You can check it out on New Japan World and then various places around the internet if you're interested. If you don't have time, feel free to check out some of the suggestions we threw your way. All right, gonna wind down today's episode. Interesting topics here. It's great to see that the women are getting a lot of TV time and getting storylines and things that they love to see. Having some parody as well. New feuds starting with a combination of folks, John Moxley and his crew in the BCC, looking to uh, to fight multiple battles here. And then, of course, the G1 continues with us into week two. Lots of things on today's episode, Joker. Yeah, I mean, some of them we went a wee bit long in the tooth on, um, not going to lie. But uh, some of them we, we've talked about before as well. Um, on this channel we do love to talk about the stories uh the stories that uh, intermingle between characters on uh, our tv screens uh, i don't want to sit and you know try and uh tell you that we're we're going to be doing anything with uh you know trying to dissect wrestling moves and holds and all that there are trained individuals that whine uh, at people getting it wrong and there are untrained individuals on the internet whining at people getting it wrong we're not going to add our voice to that we're just going to tell you that the writers are stupid for not uh for not embellishing these characters a little bit more to try and get us to love them um that is uh, that is what we love to talk about and uh, i feel like that that is uh something that we like to add our voice to uh, and try and elevate these women in our own way um and you know continue to elevate the men as they always have been elevated uh above everybody else uh, but in different stories like we, we don't always have to keep people who are at the top of the card at the top of the card we can see people who are three-time world champion mixing it up with the mid-card champ and i love to see that that's that's something that's amazing um and then you know we take that right turn down to crazyville and talk about a toriano match um or you know we see a tour of the islands with jeff cobb like you know it, it's 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 everywhere wrestling is for everybody wrestling is supposed to be for everybody it should be inclusive um and uh i just want everybody to enjoy it honestly absolutely well said variety is the spice of life as is pro wrestling you get your serious you get your comedy you get your hard-hitting matchups you get your lucha style, you get your big man just throwing chops and body slams, you get technicals, you get two topes, you get a lot of different things. And like we mentioned, stories are what keep us engaged. And it's great that we're moving in a good direction and getting a lot of variety and getting people opportunities. So let's hope that we can do a really good job of having these folks continue to get those chances 
We get compelling stories that have us continue to root for these individuals and keep us engaged and look forward to shows and watching more wrestling going forward. All right, so that's going to wind down for us. If you're at this point in the video or on listening to this or watching us, thank you so much for the bit of a long one today. Appreciate you sticking with us. So for TF Joker. Give me my triple threat much. Come on, give it to me. Give it to me. I want to see it too. And for me, Pretty Tony, we thank you for your time. Let us be a part of your day. And remember, be good to yourself, be good to each other, and we will catch you next time. Peace.